Welcome to episode 80 of the Fertility Podcast. How are you doing? Natalie Silverman with you, your host. Now, this is a kind of follow-on from my episode 79, which was a focus on male fertility, because in the UK this week, since the last episode was published, a survey had been uh, released about issues affecting men who have had a fertility struggle. And I just thought I'd, I'd continue putting the spotlight on this subject, because I try to do it as often as I can. So you're going to hear two chats. The first is with Tony Rutherford, who's the medical director of a clinic in the UK called IVI, which is part of the IVI group and they've got clinics all over the world actually. And uh, they had done a survey asking a good couple of hundred men questions about how they felt as a result of having to have fertility, as a result of having to have fertility treatment. And the results were fascinating. So here's Tony. IVI did a survey of 552 individuals of which 404 actually had a positive pregnancy test. So, you know, we're not talking about couples that had a negative experience of IDF, you know, because otherwise that might have had a, a negative bias on the survey. And 80% have had babies through IVF. It's a staggering proportion of men who felt that they'd been, that, you know, it had a negative emotional impact. And in fact, you know, almost 70% said they'd thought about giving up the IVF process. It was so bad. And and that 40% still felt, you know, negative feelings about the IVF process for up to five years afterwards. It's an incredible when you think about it. We perhaps just haven't paid enough attention to the feelings of the men. And we focus so much on the women and making sure that they're well looked after, but not really focused on the men. I know from my own experience that my husband, and we've got a two-year-old now, has never really spoken about it and and recently he has started to talk about it a bit more and I've actually just released uh, an episode where we had a conversation with a urologist and um, my husband was actually the one leading the conversation which I'd managed to capture in the podcast and it was fascinating to hear some questions answered that never were before and do you think that that's part of the problem that men don't ask those questions and they let them grow and grow and the concerns grow even like you say after being fortunate enough to become parents yes i think so and i think that these are things which you know the other finding of this survey was the fact that 70% of men felt less masculine as a result of undergoing fertility treatment, which again is a staggering number. I mean, we know that, you know, from the cause of infertility, there is a male or joint male-female factor in up to 50% of cases. So, you know, it is a significant proportion. Men they're just not good at chatting. It isn't something that comes up. You know, you don't go down to the pub. You might talk about football, but you're not going to talk about your low, low sperm count with your mates over a pint. You know, you don't, it's not something that's done. You know, as you've pointed out, they don't even talk to their partners. You know, 56% of the men in the survey said that, you know, they talk to them less than once a month about the issue because they didn't want to put a strain on the relationship or didn't want to burden their partners any further. Now, one of the other things that you've done as a result of this survey at IVI is you've created this man's guide to fertility treatment. And I was interested to see that you did in your team uh, of those involved have a dad 
who had undergone cycles and is now the father of twins, offering his insight in the whole process. So tell me a bit about the guide. Well, basically, the guide is just some helpful information, little tidbits of, uh, of what to do to allow men the opportunity to know from the start, you know, to try and address some of those concerns they have about when they produce their sample in the pot. I mean, you know, you handed this huge, huge pot and asked to produce your sample in the pot. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's a little bit of what looks like sparrow spit in the bottom and you're concerned that is there enough there it may help to reinforce the view that you know dear me you know i really am inadequate this is just not the case you know men don't produce a lot of in in the ejaculate the pot is a decent size so that they can catch it because the worst thing is being given a too small pot and you can't catch it and you lose a bit simple practical advice to um help them around it and to try and encourage them to talk with their partner and i think Probably one of the things, and uh, you know, I don't know how you felt your husband managed this during the course of the treatment, but to be involved with the whole process right from the word go, to make sure that you're there at each consultation, at each appointment. You know, you know you're not needed for the scan, and it may be difficult to get time off work, but being there, you listen to what's being said, you know what's going on, to help your wife with the injections, to be there, obviously, on the day the egg collection because you have to give the sperm but don't leave the partner just to have her embryo put back on her own be there with your, your uh, wife or a uh, partner at the time that the embryo goes back show that solidarity be part of it um you, you know you're not just there as the sperm provider you know you are you know trying to have a baby together and i think that's the important part well from our experience i mean my husband was present at all the different um, appointments but in all honesty we both felt that he wasn't really involved in that I was the one that was spoken to most of the time. And I'm interested to know, as medical director at IVI, whether that's something from a clinic's responsibility to make sure the conversations, even eye contact at both people, it's such a simple thing. But we felt that there were times where, you know, I was the one that was spoken to the majority of the time. I think that's a really important point. You you need to be uh, addressed as a couple. And you're dead right. Yes, it's really, really important because even though the majority of treatment we have for male infertility will involve something like IVF with ICSI, which is invasive for the woman, and, and most of the treatment will focus on the woman. It's important that both of you are seen together, and once you've done the ultrasound scan, that you sit down and you talk to the couple. And uh, our consultation rooms have been set up in IVI, such that that, that is just the natural way in which it, um, it should work. One of the questions that I'm interested to know when we are talking about male factor because having had a conversation with the urologist which was something that we as a couple never had and we did have to have it ICSI I'm trying to understand more about men being offered more investigation as women are at the start of working out what's going on and I'm just interested to know your thoughts on andrology, urology, with regards to if there is a a low count, whether there can be more conversations for the man to ask more questions before instantly being told ICSI is what you need to have. I think there's got to be a careful balance here, uh, Natalie. And I think one of the problems is that what you don't want as a couple is to be filled full a lot of ideas about treatments that are just not proven, not effective. We need to deal here in evidence-based medicine. 
if there were wonderful treatments that were available, then sure, let's do loads of investigations. But uh, unfortunately, at the moment, there are very few proven treatments. There are lots of compounds that you can take out there, and there was some papers to suggest that, you know, taking antioxidants, for example, selenium, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin Z are helpful. But, you know, when it gets down to does that give me a higher pregnancy rate? Well, there isn't, or live birth rate, there isn't that evidence. And, and I think that's what's missing here. I think that we have to practice evidence-based medicine uh, as far as we can. There are cases, of course, where there is potentially pathology and it would be worth getting to see a urologist. And it's always worth having a urologist around and they are needed. You know, we do have the opportunities to refer to um, a, a urologist with a special interest in, in infertility um, where it's necessary. But, I, you know, I, I I think it's a bit disingenuous to organize loads and loads of investigations and tests. Tests don't get you pregnant. Um, treatment gets you pregnant. And unfortunately, we don't seem to have that many treatments that are proven to be effective for men. Is that not because not enough men are being looked at more? Is it not that straightforward? I don't think it is that straightforward. Okay. Because you can do lots of different tests and people have identified a low sperm count. But, you know, in terms of actually uh, in those situations, um, have they um, have we found lots of different treatments that actually improve live birth rates? And the answer is no. I mean, ultimately, we're talking about the issues that men have to deal with with all of this. I've digressed a little bit and I apologise for that. And I think what's really important is to get that message across that the support is there for men. And from a clinic's point of view, the clinic offers support, which I know my husband wasn't keen to take up. So what would you say to people listening who maybe have started their journey and they know that there's counselling available, but there is that reluctance, especially from the man, to talk openly about it, even if it is somebody they've never met before who's not going to judge them in any way i think it's very important because at the end of the day most people you sit them in a clinical consultation and they sit in front of you and say no we're very sad we don't need counseling but actually we should encourage i mean you know that counseling has to be offered for all couples going through ivf treatment but it is important that you know maybe the clinician needs to be a little bit more proactive in recommending it because the counsellors are trained, of course, in being able to uh, try and facilitate that conversation between two people, to try and get them to open up, to try and get the husband to talk to. And what about in your study that showed that even five years after, you know, uh, becoming parents, there is still these feelings? Would you advise couples to consider counselling post-fertility treatment as well? I think that if anybody has these uh, uh, protracted feelings, then and, and then I think counselling may be a benefit. And I think that it's something that they, you know, should look towards. If if it's left that scar on you, then it's something that um, you should try and address. Because I think the big thing to say as well, it doesn't necessarily just go away when you have struggled to start your family, and especially when you may be talking about number two as well. Yes. 
because you know well that's right and you know you know exactly that you know you you're going to be faced with the same stresses and dramas that you experienced first time around this time you know a little bit more about it but if you felt that you were unsupported unstressed and 64% of men that went through it felt that they were unsupported and did want additional uh, information Tony it's been great talking to you thank you thank you bye bye the fertility podcast is supported by IVF matters the UK's first online fertility clinic where you can order tests delivered to your door have scans at multiple locations and speak to consultants in the comfort of your own home it's a truly unique way to experience your fertility journey and you can find out more at ivfmatters.co.uk Now, I'll put all the details of IVI on the show notes for this episode, and you can have a look at that guide for men during fertility treatment to see whether you find it helpful. Now, next up, we're going to hear about a survey that is actually still happening. So if you are a guy listening and you'd like to get involved, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Esme Hanna. She'll tell you about a survey that's available online for you to answer anonymously and can really share your feelings on what you've been going through. And maybe you could suggest this to your other half or your partner, if you're listening and think it might be something for them. So I'm going to welcome Dr. Esme Hanna to the podcast once again. Dr. Esme is a sociologist specialising in, well, in male infertility issues. She's done a lot of research and I will put a link to our previous chat. And I want to know about, well, what you've been doing since we last spoke, because there's been another paper looking at uh, men dealing with infertility issues. So Dr. Esme, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Natalie. How are you? I'm very good. You've been busy? Yeah, we're, we're trying to be busy, yeah. I think as we talked about last time, there's a lot of work still to do to kind of understand how men feel in relation to infertility and the kind of impacts of that on them on a personal level and also on their relationships. And that was what we looked at in our most recent paper about the sort of impact that men talk about in relation to their intimate partner relationships when they're kind of going through infertility and assisted reproductive treatment. Because this other survey that has come out talks about men feeling less manly, feeling inferior towards their partners, feeling like they can't talk about how they're honestly feeling. Is that a similar thing that you were hearing men say? Yeah, I think that the challenge of having somewhere to to talk about it is certainly a big issue and I think that's where some of the kind of support groups or whether they're online or in person where men can get together with other men and feel that's a really safe space to be able to talk about those things I think that's that's really important there has been some evidence around the kind of impacts on masculinity but again it's something that we still don't really know enough about that it kind of needs needs more research in terms of what are those implications for men in terms of how they feel about their own self-image and their masculinity and how they're sort of assessing that in relation to to other men and, and in relation to their partners as well so there's definitely more still to do there. I mean is a man likely to admit that his masculinity has been affected or are men actually now just saying you know what enough's enough I, I don't feel great and let's just be honest. I think it kind of varies I think that you know as masculinity is kind of takes many and varied forms and so actually some men they are really going to want to talk about those things and you know particularly if they've got the right people to talk to about that that actually that can be quite straightforward for some people whereas for other people if they don't necessarily have that opportunity to talk about the impact on it or how it might be making them feel that then yeah they can start to feel more constrained in themselves about it but yeah it really varies because you know masculinity comes in as many shapes and sizes as people do so well exactly and I think some men are more stereotypical 
male, aren't they? And others are more metrosexual, as we now have that term in the mix, don't we? Yeah, definitely. That some people do conform to those kind of more traditional ideas of men being kind of stoic and that, you know, they see their role, particularly in relation to infertility, about being about the support for their partner and feeling that's their their main priority, you know, that they need to be strong um, for their female partner in heterosexual relationships because they feel that their their wives or partners are kind of going through more or experiencing more suffering. But whereas, yes, yeah, for other men, they might articulate that more to other people. And because we don't necessarily talk about infertility enough, which is great why you do your podcast and raising the kind of awareness around those things, but particularly around men, we don't talk about those issues perhaps enough in society. And so if men don't have those opportunities to know about some of the online forums for men or Facebook groups for them that actually they they might want to talk about it but they just haven't got the right people to do that with well I mean I've spoken with Gareth down who has this Facebook group for men men only and um, I know he's seen a really lovely organic growth as word has spread Mm. enabling people to have that place well men where they can speak in confidence and I think that is an awareness thing in itself since I've spoken with him and I've tweeted about it I know he said that you know there's been a few more people joining and it's it's such a word of mouth thing ultimately and that's why this podcast can help and that's also why you're now doing even more research and that's why we're speaking because you've just launched a new survey that you're doing in partnership with Fertility Network UK so just talk to me a bit about what you're doing. Yeah so it's a project that we're really excited about um, and as you say we're working with Fertility Network UK um, to kind of support us with that and, um, and it's great to have that relationship with them and it's really important that all of us that are kind of you know, working in this area in whatever format, whether it's running those Facebook groups or doing your podcast or the charities and as academics that we're all kind of, we all want the same things. And so it's great to be able to bring those connections together and be pulling in the, in the same direction. So the survey is um, an online survey, but it's um, kind of unique in that it's much more open questions. So people have the opportunity um to write as much as they want or as little as they want and so we're asking men to participate in the survey if they want to and kind of tell us about their experiences and it's it's a really good opportunity we hope for men to be able to have their kind of view put across around how they feel you know the kind of major areas that that it impacts on on their lives when they're having diagnosis or going through treatment and the kind of challenges they face and what other support they'd like to see and by having it online we're hoping that we're able to tap into that really important thing of it being anonymous and that people can take the time and fill it in when they want to under no pressure from someone asking questions um that they can kind of do that and like say give us as much information or, or as little as they want and it's kind of about giving that option of a bit of control about what they want to say and of men having a voice to, to tell us what what really matters to them. Now as far as the men who you hope are going to answer it are you expecting it to mainly be men who have got a diagnosis they know they've got to have fertility treatment or could it also be men who are still trying and they maybe haven't gone to seek help and they're just dealing with maybe their partner being upset each month when their period Mm. comes and they're starting to have those conversations about whether they should get checked yeah absolutely it can encompass all of those um, aspects and there are some kind of sort of general demographic questions towards the end of the the survey that sort of asks around whether you're having treatment yet or not and so it's not that it's exclusively for people that are kind of hooked into the system um, in terms of going down the road the route of being in a clinic and and having reproductive treatment it can yes certainly be for for those men who are in that kind of trying phase uh, you know and haven't maybe been to the doctors or, or those people that have been to the doctors and 
have chosen or are not able to take up, you know, other further options to go to a clinic. Obviously, with the lack of funding that there is, particularly for IVF, that it's it's really not an option for some people. So, yeah, we want we want to hear from any men that it relates to. OK, so it could be people who maybe have decided to stop if they have tried and it hasn't been successful. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't have to be that they're, they're going through it right at this moment in time. It could be that they're yeah, the start of that that process or it could be that the, yeah, they've been, they've been through that journey. And, you know, as the, the survey about men and the kind of impact of that, that that's come out recently from IVI saying that, you know, that the impact that can last beyond even if you have had successful treatment or you have, have had a successful conception that the kind of experience of that can kind of linger and we have found that in other research that the kind of paranoia that kind of comes around you know and the kind of the lingering sense around having gone through that experience of infertility so certainly yeah people that have, that have been through that whether that's had the outcome that they hoped for or, or a different outcome yeah we're looking for any men's views and it's an opportunity really for them to to have their say in a way that we hope feels really safe and, and appropriate to the kind of sensitivity of the topic and as i mentioned with uh, tony rutherford from ivi you mentioned their survey dealing with trying for number two is a whole nother thing and i mean that's the place that that we're at um, my husband and I and I'll be interested mm. to see whether he will do this survey if I ask him because <laughs> I know I know from our point of view now we've got a two-year-old boy and you know he's much more used to talking about it because I'm doing this podcast and we will talk about it I suppose because I'm always talking about it <laughs> um, I think now he's much more open to this kind of thing and I'd be interested from you know your findings how long has it taken for men to be comfortable talking more about mm. it yeah and I think that you know it probably depends on a number of things of you know kind of what diagnosis people have had and like you say whether they have been able to have a child whether they then want to try and make those decisions if they want to try for a second or third or more that you know those impacts can crop up at different times can't they and so actually someone might be feeling okay about it in the kind of every day in the now but then yeah those things you know might change I guess that you know particularly as perhaps friends move on to start having their second children and and if couples know that that may not be so straightforward for them and kind of you know managing those those kind of feelings of almost struggle to to get one child in the first place should you go through that again is um you know again it's something that we just don't really talk about we kind of and particularly i think in research that you know we, we do look at the experience of of going through reproductive treatment or ivf and the kind of psychological impacts and the kind of emotions of that on what happens if it doesn't work and but actually we don't really give that what if you want to have more children question you know after a successful first treatment particularly hasn't been given a lot of attention either for men or women really and i think as well we might be assuming that we're talking about men in say their 20s 30s or 40s and from a chat i did with dr robin hadley about childlessness involuntary mm. childlessness he talked about his peer group becoming grandfathers and that being something that he wasn't able to join in with so there's that real span across different age groups yeah definitely and that's the thing it's those kind of disruptions of you know what we'd call temporal horizons so those points at which people are tend to be doing traditional life course kind of events of you know yeah first children and then you know grandparenting and you know those kind of things that punctuate the life course really so again they can bring up those issues at, at different points for people and um yeah there may well be variation um for people of different ages and from different backgrounds different cultural settings um so it's really important that we kind of try and make this as encompassing of all men as we can and invite them to share with us what they want to um and then we can try and deduce some conclusions about it from that well i'll put the link on the show notes and we'll be sharing it online and you're hoping to complete 
the findings by the autumn so we hope to have some findings for fertility awareness week so yeah watch this space okay great well we'll check in again and have a chat about those findings and uh, good luck with it and uh, we'll continue to spread the word this end and lovely to chat thanks natalie you take care you too bye bye So two interesting chats there about the ongoing need really to get more research done about how men feel when struggling to start a family and I really hope this has been of interest and maybe it will prompt you to go and fill in some questions. So the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash questions and there you'll find uh, details of IVI and uh, Tony Rutherford and also Dr Esme's survey in association with Fertility Network UK and how you can get involved. Please do share it and if you have the time to spend on it it would just be really great to you know to get you involved as always it's been brilliant having you listen if you haven't yet subscribed you can do so at thefertilitypodcast.com via itunes or stitcher or spreaker or acast whatever your preferred podcast platform and if you get the chance to leave a review for me on itunes that would be amazing because it's lovely to know what you think any questions just email me natalie at thefertilitypodcast.com And just to let you know about adverts that are appearing in this podcast, you might have noticed and been wondering what's going on. The podcast is now hosted by Acast. And if you know anything about podcasts, you'll know that they are done mainly out of love and passion. And I have a real passion to put as much information out there as I can for you to hopefully help you wherever you are on your journey. So that's why I just wanted to explain there have been some ads popping up on this podcast. I hope you don't mind. We are kind of used to adverts in this day and age, aren't we? But please let me know if you're not happy because, as I always say, I do appreciate your feedback. So take care and until the next time, 